right, Zit coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have two artists who are incredibly talented and hardworking and happen to be some of the nicest people in the world, Gary and Laura Dumb. Gary is a comics illustrator with a large body of work. He worked for Harvey P. Carr for 30 years, illustrating um, American Splendor and a lot of Harvey's graphic novels, The Beats being one, Students for a Democracy Society being another. Aside from working with Harvey, Gary has done a large amount of graphic novels, two of the most recent being Fire on the Water and Captured, a World War II memoir. Laura Dumb is a pop art painter who, after working for various magazine publications, became a freelance graphic artist illustrator and started her own graphic art company and then retired to become a full-time painter. Whilst the whole time collaborating with Gary as a colorist for the comics he was illustrating. Becoming the team supreme that they are, they have also collaborated on projects and shows such as Here Be Monsters, which is a series of large environmental-based paintings using classic horror monsters and science projects gone wrong to illustrate things like water and air pollution with the hope to educate others about the environmental issues of today. All right, so this conversation takes place at Gary and Laura's house. Joining me once again is Hope Wondowski. And uh, what was so cool was, like, not only did they invite us over to do the interview— um, as opposed to doing it over the phone, but they invited us over a week early so we can come check out what they're working on. Just kind of gave us a tour of their studio and their process, and we hung out for like three or four hours, and it was a great time. We just hung out, ate cookies, and talked, and it, some of the nicest people, right? And afterwards, after this interview, we did the same thing. We hung out for maybe two more hours. Both incredibly, incredibly kind and generous with their time. And we're lucky to have them. We're lucky to have them here in Cleveland. And I think we're lucky to be able to call them friends now after this. So, before we get to this conversation, let you know what Gary and Laura have going on. Um, the third issue of Snark, which is a comic they've been working on, is coming out soon. Also, if you go to www.dumbart.com, you can reach out to Gary and Laura and check out all the projects they've been working on. For any of your visual art needs, you can hit them up. And I highly recommend you do. Now, one thing I've noticed with doing these interviews, and especially with people I've talked to in Cleveland and Ohio, is how DIY-based and make it happen a lot of our people from here are. A lot of there's something in the water about developing your own way and being passionate about a project that you fully believe in that you full you full, you throw your full self into. And when I talk with Gary and Laura, they 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 emulate that. Their enthusiasm, their joy, their positivity, and their passion is contagious. And when you listen to this interview, I hope that you guys get a bite of that. So without further ado. Last thing I got to say, if you like what you hear, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool people like Gary and Laura and sharing their insights with you. And without further ado, here's our conversation with Gary and Laura Dumb. So to kind of get into it, I kind of wanted to start with um, where you guys started getting like a, a diving into art and finding yourself through creative endeavors that way. Um so my first question for Gary, uh, when your mom was on the phone, you started to do what? I'd watch her. 
because she was doing simultaneously left and right brain operation. Of course, I didn't know that at the time, but she's speaking left brain operation, and she's drawing at the same time little um, faces. Sometimes she draw like the animals, but it was my recognition, or at least asking the question, well, if she can do that, why can't I do it? So I quickly was disabused of that when I realized I was doing more like stick figures. And after, you know, like five years or plus, maybe even 10, I finally was able to draw the way she could draw. Yeah. And I, uh, I began doing drawings to take them to school to show the other kids. And once you begin getting feedback from your peers, and I was lucky generally it was positive feedback, you start doing more. It also helped that my dad was an alcoholic who, when I was quiet, he didn't bother with me. But when I was doing kid stuff, we'd be pissed off. So I learned if I just sat at the table and drew, he was fine. Okay. Huh. That is, a, it's, uh, I guess, a, to kind of have, so did you, I guess, do you find at that time, kind of growing up, did you find yourself more of an introvert? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is kind of like the opposite of where comics go, you know, <laughs> like, or art in general becomes an extra. But there was that first step, as I said, of taking this stuff to school. Right. And when you start getting that feedback, you can become much less of an introvert. Because right. Because you get some kind of a dialogue going. There's that uh, acceptance, like, wow, I'm, I'm worth something here to someone's aesthetic pleasure somewhere and like just like i can do a thing you know what i mean like those that's a huge that's a huge deal it's it's definitely a power it's a power like music although not as obvious as music because you can always take your drawings and keep them in your little yeah Yeah. secret if you will well and also like it's a with with art it's kind of like for the most part it's kind of like a finished product Right. Like, here's the thing with music. You can see someone trying to do it or piecing it together in real time, usually. And you can do that with, you know, visual arts, too. But like, it's kind of like a presented. Here's the finished essay. (laughs) Well, that did happen later on when I was a teenager. I had several good friends and uh, we would all get together generally on my parents front porch in the summer. And we'd be doing that. Some of us could draw, and we'd draw in front of each other, and others could write. And other than that, it was just sitting around BSing about movies and cars and girls. <laughs> Let's, I want to put a pin in that. Um, so, Laura, you also had, like, uh, support from school with your arts, right? You're a second-grade well, teacher. This, Well, the story is sort of like Gary's. I did uh, have a father that dabbled in a lot of little things, and he would draw the buffalo on the back of the nickel. Yeah. And I always loved to see him draw that buffalo on the back of the nickel. And then he would draw Snow White for me. So these were just things he was just humoring me. Yeah. You know, it's. But then in school, yes, my fifth grade teacher. 
Okay, fifth yeah. grade. She, um, she told my mom that, uh, that I had a great gift for color. And I don't know if that really made me feel good and I looked at color differently from then or if I really did have a great gift for color. <laughs> but, yeah, this is one thing that I kind of do well today. So, so from kind of, was it in between, and you went to like a, you went to a school that was kind of based around arts, right? No. No? Okay. I thought that was, maybe I read it wrong. <laughs> oh, my high school. Okay. All right. So this yeah. post fifth grade after, oh, yeah. after kind of no, getting No, I just bug. went to regular, you know, uh, regular schools. Um, and then my high school uh, had a program that they were just starting and it was called Specialized Art Class. And we had six or seven periods of art a day. We had art history. Then we had a couple of periods, of maybe three or four, of actual drawing or painting or, you know, life drawings or all kinds of stuff like that. And then um, we had letter and design, which was also kind of neat. And they had this for the three years I was in high school. And it was the ninth or the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders were all in the program together. Okay. So once you graduated, you just had more people, and it was great. It was like my it was like a, a college education almost in high school. Yeah. So yeah, that uh, that was in West Tech. Yeah. Okay. Which is no longer there, and I did. Although I still am in contact with my art teacher. Yeah. He Very still cool. does things in. Who is it? Cleveland, Bill Jean. Bill Jean. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I still call him Mr. Gene because that's just, you know, what we it's, did. <laughs> it's hard. Like, I, I it still is hard. keep in touch with some of my, like, my old teachers. Like, and I, 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 he's like, it's just Justin now, man. I'm like, all right, Z. You know, like, it's hard. It's he hard, always like... tells me that, you know, it's <laughs> Bill Gene, Lauren. It's like, no, you're always going to be Mr. Gene. <laughs> yeah, so. And Hope, you kind of, that was, you kind of had that with uh, uh, drama, right? Your, your high school I, I went to like a, I went to a vocational high school, but you know, alongside like auto mechanics and welding, there was a performing arts uh, program too. Welding is kind of a performing art. Oh yeah. <laughs> Especially when you get into TIG welding, it's a whole thing. It's tricky. Anyway. Um, but yeah, I had a, uh, I, my teacher there. Um, Maria Aladrin, she was like, I, I think she was the, like one of the first people in my life to give, to give me direction. Like, yeah. And that's kind of where I wanted to take the next step of this is like, when you see you, that you can surround yourself with something you enjoy doing and learning all these parts, maybe you don't enjoy, right. Did that kind of make the next step of, I want to do art for for a living possible um well i always did art but when it came to choosing what i wanted to do when i grew up (laughs) um my mother always was don't do art laura be a secretary yeah and of course i didn't want to be a secretary (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to do art so that was sort of the discussion that we had up until when I was working for Northern Ohio Live magazine, I got an assignment to do the cover. 
Okay. And I did the cover, and it was, I, I, I did probably three covers for Northern Ohio Live. And my mom all of a sudden was, oh, oh, this could be a job. <laughs> so. What was, was what was the first cover? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I still even have it. It uh, was it, a summer issue, and it was a sailor on the front, yeah. just his face. And it was about things that you could do during the summer. Okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so it, it, going through this type of experience, it, you could see, I mean, aside from approving it to like a parent, which is always going to be a hard challenge because they care about everything that's going to happen and where you're going to go. But like, uh, going through this type of schooling and kind of surrounding yourself with it did kind of like show that it could be a thing. Yeah. And then I would do summer classes at, um, teach or take. Oh, take. Okay. You know, like when I was still in school and things, right. they had some summer classes at the Cleveland um, Museum. And then they had one. Cooper. Cooper, yeah, School of Art downtown. And, uh, you know, just always dabbling in, in that. So I just was, I'm going to be an artist. And, and what, that was that. Yeah. Was it, and paint, painting was always the medium, or was there like a, mm, a medium no. crew? I, okay. I did everything, and it changed all the time. Yeah. I didn't want to. I finally got to the point where I went, I'm glad I didn't go to college because they would have made me have a style. Right. They would have directed me to have a style. And I, I, I just had so much fun investigating different, um, different ways of, of doing art, sometimes painting furniture, sometimes pen and pen you know pen and ink and sometimes um just pencil color pencil and then paint and uh, well it's like it's the the way of no way right the bruce lee thing <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> like, it was it was fun yeah well that would that be the most important part right yeah and to always have that kind of ever like never uh, scratchable itch yeah to like have like all these that's cool yeah. And it's interesting with like kind of like a, a college um, approach, like going through a program like that. And there's nothing wrong with a college approach, but there is that kind of like, at least in, in the visual arts, you have to have a thing, a, a, a major, you know, or what your medium is to push through. And I know like same with music, it was the same way. Yeah, they're like, what are you going to do? You're going to do this or you're going to do that. And like, when you have to get through it, you're like, oh, I really like that one class I only had to take one of. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So to have that kind of verse uh, flexible thing is a really that's really cool. Well, and it's it's interesting. Yeah. Because every different thing you do, you come across a whole new set of problems that you have to figure out. Right. So it's it's all a a learning, you know. Yeah. And a fun learning thing. Yeah. And and I like having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting too is like I notice like. Uh, I have friends, and I'll, I'll compare it to how I understand with music. Like, I have friends who went through music programming, right? And they have a very, like, kind of fixated goal of what they're going to do post, right? Or an expectation of what they're going to do. And, like, uh, a very, like, interesting way of reaching the, that goal post, right? And now meet someone who's, like, a guy who's just in their basement um, teaching lessons and doing it all on their own. And they have, like, a – it's an interesting – like, they have a bigger – uh, appreciation and more in depth kind of, and this is uh, me. This is what I experienced. Definitely not everyone's experience, but a more like in depth look on some of the little steps 
compared to like the destination. Yeah. And like I think it's interesting. You'll hear um you'll hear a guy who talks about like yeah, those minor thirds are really important. And then in college, there's like, okay, minor thirds, you know what? Okay, next thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of, you, I, I, did you find that either of you guys with like kind of taking art on your own, like processing, like um, that maybe other uh, artists don't really kind of dive into is like in depthly that you're like, no, it's really cool when you sketch it out like this or like, I, you know. I'm just going to say one thing, and then he can take it. Okay. We are so opposite in, in the things that we do. Right. We so just, we'll get to that. We'll get we to that. just yeah. yeah fill in each other's blanks, you know, and um, take it away, Gear. I just took as much art as I could. I went to Cuyahoga Community College, and I had what I thought were good teachers. The problematic part was... After I got out of college, I still wanted to do comics, and I started doing silk screening. Hmm. And I had one of my silk screens in a place, and one of those teachers came by, and he goes, well, this is okay, but why are you going to waste your time on doing stuff like comic books? I I felt a little bit let down, because as a teacher... I thought he was a good teacher, but as a commenter on the artwork itself, yeah. when I wasn't getting a grade on it, it was a bit of a letdown, but it didn't dissuade me in any way. Was that uh, David Arberman or Gerald Kramer? <laughs> well, do I have to name names? No, you don't. <laughs> good. <laughs> It was one of them. It was one of them. But that was, that was a point. Uh, so to kind of pick up where you left off, you're, you're drawing on the porch, right? And like um, just kind of messing around with friends, having fun with it. When is it after, I guess, like after high school that you knew you wanted to go study it more in-depthly in college? Or was it kind of a path that just opened up? It was kind of a path that just opened up. Also, the fact was that I wasn't going to have to go anywhere and spend X amount of dollars for some kind of an education. And I do not fault uh, Tri-C for the kind of education I got yeah. in getting a two-year associate's degree. Not not at all. I did that same thing. I got associates from Tri-C. Go try Pro Tri-C. Shout out. Shout out, Tri-C. <laughs> <laughs> um, with a so with like silk screening, um, does that have anything that did you notice like a trade off with like inking in silk screening? Well, the not really. The uh, yeah, I, I got into silk screening because my mom said, you know, you ought to get a job. <laughs> yeah. And so I found a job. It was in a print shop. They did all kinds of offset printing, and I learned to silk screen because they also did the kind of paper banners mm. that used to hang in grocery store windows. So that was my introduction to silk screening. And frankly, after I did that for a while, I hated silk screening. <laughs> First of all, because of the smell yeah. and uh, what it did to me health-wise. I didn't have any appetite huh. because of nailing the fumes. Right. <laughs> but later on, uh, once getting together with Laura, 
I thought, look, I know how to do this. Now I can do it to do our stuff. Gotcha. And we did. Okay. okay. Including that one. Right over there. The skull? We did. Yeah, the flaming yeah. skull. Yeah, we did quite a few silk screens, and uh, one just showed up that a friend bought ages ago Yeah. on Facebook. You know, he's he's doing, which is nice, because he's doing artists every day, and he's putting oh, that's up cool. one piece of their work, and one of the silk screens showed up, and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Haven't so, seen that in a while. Yeah. Um, so I guess we're... To kind of build off that, when and where did you guys meet? We met at a party. Okay. And um, I don't know. He just, maybe it was that he worked at that silkscreen place and he just was uh, like 118 pounds or something, you know. It had this aroma. It, no, no. <laughs> no, he just was. wafting he, off me. He it's just not was, pheromones in silkscreen ink. <laughs> he was just so art, arty looking, you know. Yeah. He just looked like an artist. And he was an artist. And then he was like cool and everything. And I was, I was hooked. Okay, okay, very cool. <laughs> At that time, I was still doing a good amount of painting, yeah, which you I haven't done for a while because of getting into doing comics. Yeah. Okay. Okay, for, so from doing silk printing to painting, and, like, you guys meet at this party, and then does it, you guys kind of hit it off? Does it take off, or does it take oh, a couple it took weird? Off. Okay, a couple. It took off. And, it's, and that was when I turned 18. Yeah. I wanted out of the house. So, you know, we we had an apartment on the east side. Okay. And um, he was in the same apartment a couple floors up or down, I forget. Anyway, um, and then that summer, I think this was 70, we, you know, we moved out into our own apartment. Yeah. And... Um, in 71, we got married. Right. So it was boom, yeah, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, when you guys first, did you start working on stuff together? Like mm. like silk printing, or was this later? And the silk screening kinda... we did. Yeah, we did start doing silk screening in that first apartment. But pretty much. It was very primitive. It was just on a regular table with a small silk screen setup. And then later bought the kind of professional setup that I've been doing in the print shop. Gotcha. Which was down the basement here. Yeah. It That's lo- where we did larger stuff like that. Okay, okay. No, because the, the Popeye print, that was about that size. And that was done at the apartment. Not too Just not long, as big as that. Okay. <laughs> Seemed like it was. And that was the one print that got into the May show that year, which was fun. So, like, at this point, do you have kind of a sense of the artist you guys wanted oh, yeah. to be at that point? Like, oh, you yeah. Kind of well, had we a were artists. Right, right, you right. Know. But did you, like, have, like, okay, I kind of want to shoot down this. The, like, were comics coming to you at that point, or were you still so? Oh, yeah. It okay. It was both. Okay. Yeah. And um, I think then that's when I started working for like places that that did magazines or you know um shopper's guide i think was one place i worked and 
So it was all kind of going toward, oh, I can work in a place and do art. Yeah. And then we were learning, I was learning things like type, you know, typing machines. Yeah. And the typography machines and what do they call those? Well, the earlier ones were linotype machines, yeah. but I don't think you ever worked on no. that. No, and then, um, and he was working at uh, part-time at Case. bookstores. Yeah, I worked yeah. part-time at Case. And that one happened because um, I, like your mother, said, I think maybe you should get a job. It's yeah. <laughs> a strange echo. <laughs> yeah, well, he was definitely living the hippie life. <laughs> Which was cool. So, okay, so you got, because as like two people who are trying to do their own thing, like, and with a similar, similar like visual component, I can see like maybe like, uh, I, I, don't, I don't get this vibe from you guys at all, but some people get kind of hung up when someone else is doing better. Ooh. Like, you know what I mean? Was there ever kind of like, but it, you guys, I, I, from meeting you guys, I get nothing but you guys support each other and like, but and we when fill you, in the cracks. Of, right. You know, we fill in what the other one can't do. Right. So we really needed each other. And was that something that kind of came clear right away while you um, were living, like developing a relationship, relationship, and kind of working relationships? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. I think as to that, it's probably more in retrospect. Gotcha. Uh, because... A lot of times when you're in the midst of something happening, you don't see it as clearly. Right. I think that we were kind of working just on stuff. You know, then when we moved into this house, which was 74-ish or something like that, um, then we both got our, we we could both have our own studio. Okay. You know, mine was on one side of the house, his was on the other side of the house. So... You know, I get a lot of exercise. <laughs> yeah, and then, um, then maybe things started because that's when I was working at Live Magazine, and you were working at. I was Collectors mainly Warehouse. coming to Live because by being at Gay's Bookstore, I met a lawyer named Sheldon Jaffrey, who was a big collector of books. He had a large collection of Arkham House books, well, you know, works by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and uh, uh, folks like that, Robert E. Howard. And he, because uh, one thing that I got good at, getting past being an introvert, I got good at, hey, look what I've been working on. Hey, yeah. So I would show almost anybody. Yeah. And uh, it happened that he had a connection with Bowling Green Popular Press that put out all kinds of books, all kinds of subjects. Some of them were actually theses that people had done about various kinds of literature and pop culture. And he goes, I'm writing a book that's about Arkham House. Would you uh, be willing to try to do the cover? I said, sure. So that was the beginning of like a 20 plus year association with them. And I brought Laura into doing yeah. that. That might have been the first. And uh, another collaborator of mine in comics, Greg Budget, he and I did some covers. 
and then later another collaborator on American Splendor, Joe Zabel. I brought him in to do covers. And then even later, um, I had been teaching at Virginia Marty College, and some of the students, I brought some yeah. of them in to uh, do covers. Awesome. So it, it's funny the connections that you make and how they develop, um, broaden, and unfortunately, in terms of a publisher, unfortunately, and yeah, yeah. I'm, I, I think that that is the first time when we did start actually working on projects together, because oh, we, we did a little bit of it on American Splendor with doing the uh, color overlays. Right, but I mean, you know, for for um, all of the book covers that we did for Bowling Green, right, mm. that was sort of a job that we both worked on but now was Bowling Green were we doing that after the computer came in because the computer thing was another big yes um, thing as to where now you're really working yeah yes but your connection at Northern Ohio Live allowed me to come in and shoot photo stats of artwork to be used yeah, for yeah. those covers. Because that was nice having that, um, that, yeah. And, well, then from there, yeah. um, it was, uh, I wanted to be the art director at Northern Ohio Live. I went into the boss. Yeah. And he said, you can't do that. I said, yeah, I can. And he goes, no, no, you can't. And I says, well, then I quit. Yeah, the only part you didn't get was there was an opening for an art oh, director. Yeah. She gotcha. didn't just come in cold. But I was yeah. art directing a whole... Already. I, I, yeah. For him. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, so then I had a computer, and so then I could start my own graphic arts business. Gotcha. But also from seeing how it worked there and taking it on your own. It's all... Yeah, and yeah. I am so glad because we learned... As we went, you know, right. and Andy Warhol had a great saying, don't say no to any job. Mm. If you don't know how to do it, go home, learn how to do it and do it. And that stuck in my head. And yeah. it just was, if you have a whole lot of different jobs, that's a whole lot of different things to do. And it's right. never boring. It's not like a nothing against factories because we need them, but it's right. not. You know, this is like a really cool job here, and then you get a really cool job there. And and I got to work with the Cleveland Police Memorial Society. Yeah. It was like my main, <clears throat> you know, uh, client. Yeah. And um, that was interesting, too. Well, what a cool way to, like, take in so many different aspects of life and be able to funnel it through your skill set and, like, like how you, like... And also kind of go into the mixed medium of having like a bunch of different th things you enjoy to create with. Like it's kind of like the, the perfect gig for that to blossom. Like, But I think too, then it was I was doing the graphic arts. Yeah. But then I was painting. Right. That was pretty much all I was, except for working whenever he needed me. So the computer brought a whole bunch of options. A whole bunch right? of new options. And we could work at home. I could work in my pajamas. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, sometimes it'd be you're working still at eleven o'clock at night right. to get something done for the next morning. But it, um, 
It was good because it paid the bills until 2008. It's all about possibilities and increasing possibilities. Um, We ended up, of course, with the association with Harvey Picar on American Splendor, getting all kinds of different jobs. Yes, yeah. Because of that. Oh, Harvey was the, yeah, he, Harvey took care of his people. You know, he would, uh, he would take care of Gary, and when he got a good job, yeah, you know, he brought Gary in. When he had a job that really didn't pay very well, he didn't tell Gary about it. And Gary one time asked him, Harvey had this, this is towards the end. Yeah. Um, in the, the last few years of Harvey's life, he had an online association with some folks, and I stumbled across it online. Here's Harvey's face, and oh, what's this about? And I look and I see he's doing stories online, etc. So one time when I'm talking to him after that, I said, Harv, what's going on? Why haven't you included me yeah. in any of this? And he goes, well, man, I would if it paid any kind of bread. <laughs> but it don't pay nothing. He, he was looking out for, you know. Yeah. But then the primo jobs, like um, uh, the, uh, entertainment. Making the, mo- making the movie and entertainment. Yeah. We, we did all the publicity for that. Yeah. and um, Almost and, all, but a lot. The yeah. lion's share, certainly. And a lot of national magazines were would pick up stuff like that. And international yeah. stuff for Germany, Japan, yeah. anything that was coming to the table uh, promoting the movie. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a great time. Harvey did ask at the beginning. Because look, from what they're telling me, there's going to be a load of work coming promoting this book. So do you think you can do it? And I said... Is there going to be color work? He said, oh, yeah. I said, that's even better because Laura can do that. So I could then just concentrate on doing the black and white part of it, and she could concentrate on doing the color. And then we got the um, uh, job that wanted you to do a lot of, uh, to do the book. Harvey got a contract with Valentine Books, a five-book contract. Yeah. And one of them, I don't know how they fit this into the contract. Honestly, I do not. <laughs> it was the adaptation of a movie that was going to be coming out soon entitled A Scanner Darkly by the science fiction author Philip K. Dick. And it was a favorite book of mine. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going, well, what, what are you going to do on this, Harvey? I don't get Wasn't it. Wasn't this a stop animation thing? Yes. He says this is an adaptation of the movie where they, you will take frame blow-ups from the movie and put it back together like a comic book, but it's of the movie. I said, this sounds pretty good. All they wanted Harvey to do was write connective blurbs that would help the uh, continuity of making the, you know, whenever the characters didn't say enough to elucidate, like, 
a passage of time or something like that. He goes, that's all I got to do is just do this fill-in stuff. But we ended up getting to put the whole thing together. Yeah. So it was really a plum job because I was going to have to hand letter all of that sort of stuff as well as whatever dialogue was on the page. And I quickly came to the conclusion if there were going to be rewrites or anything like that, yeah. it was going to get expensive. So we put that to the folks, the powers that be, and they said, well, you know, instead of doing hand lettering, what if we have your hand lettering made into an electronic font? Yeah. And we said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which then even brought me more into the whole thing right. because I was the computer girl also. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he didn't learn that. As, but I really, wanted to, I really wanted to learn that computer. And ultimately, it's paid such incredible dividends because mm-hmm. it saves me time. Right. I don't have to hand letter anymore because it is me hand lettering, sort of. And... Because because of that, it's ended up getting more jobs. Yeah. And so it was really a, a win-win on something that at first I didn't understand why RV was involved at all. Right. That it's it's crazy what what his name pops uh, up on. <laughs> like so like, but the kind of like where you you enter you met Harvey first. How Harvey oh, come yeah. into your guys' life? Oh, that's life? a good story. Um, I had a friend who worked at the at the um, VA VA hospital where Harvey worked, and she or uh, he was delivering mail. She was a social worker. Yeah, he was delivering mail to their specific offices, and she had bought the Popeye print silkscreen. Oh, okay, going all the way back to yeah. that. The silkscreen print that um, Gary, yeah, that was in the May show, hanging on her wall. And Harvey comes in and he goes, hey, do these, does this guy know how to draw anything else besides Popeye? And she said, oh, yeah, he's a really good artist, you know, and she talked Gary up. Yeah. And she says, do you want me to introduce you? Boom, the rest wow. is history, you know. So they got together and, uh, yeah. And I liked what Ari was trying to do. I mean... It's not that other comics writers and or artists hadn't done autobiographical comics before. I mean, uh, Will Eisner certainly and uh, Jack Kirby also with his uh, early life stuff. But Harvey was doing it in almost, I felt, a reportorial and almost journalistic fashion. He was putting uh, the meat, if you will, of his life on the page. If he did something good, it's there. If he did something stupid or shitty, it's there. I have to stop for a moment and say there were several times when I had either heard of or directly viewed things that went on in his family life. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you do that? He goes, no, I, I can't do that. Because there would be repercussions. Yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, Harvey was, I think, 
absolutely truthful in the kind of stuff that he put on the page. Well, and he he just chose not to do some things that maybe would bring other people. Yeah, embarrassment. You know, he didn't care, though, if it was him doing something stupid. Yeah. I mean, I always appreciated that uh, his saying, Harvey puts the good in the bad, Yeah. you know, and that's being a true artist, I think. And he was the one who did it year after year for over 30 years, whereas uh, Eisner and Kirby, as great as, undeniably great as both of them were, they did not do that. Yeah, yeah. And he was dedicated to, to, he worked all year long to make enough money. There was no GoFundMes back then. Right. You know, to make enough money to put out one, his one love, you know. So I think that that was also kind of cool. Yeah, especially sacrificing parts of his uh, jazz and blues record collection in order yeah. to fund it. Was it that it is that that type of dedication is infectious, you know, and from the the story you guys built up so far, it seems like you guys kind of shared that that drive. Oh, right. And to see someone who's completely doing their own thing the way they want to do it and honestly want to do it. I can see why that connection was so impactful for you guys as as opposed as well as to like the well, all these awesome, cool gigs that we can get behind, but also just like the intent of all three of you guys. Well, and it's nice to be, you know, <laughs> to have, I don't know, it's nice to have, you know, dedicated, creative people around you all the time. Right, right. You know, because you don't have time to, like, feel sorry for yourself or anything. You just keep going. And that was, yeah, that was quite fun. Yeah, feeling sorry for oneself is not a path that I, uh, I go down. Wise words. Well, sometimes it was hard getting that art show, but you know. <laughs> well, that's a whole nother monster. That's a whole yeah. That's a whole nother monster. That's like a bunch of. <laughs> but we we still kept going, you <laughs> yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so when you start working with Harvey, and is it initially just with American Splendor? Well, interestingly enough, there's a comic, an underground. I guess you'd call it entitled Flaming Baloney okay. that I did with uh, Jim Blevins and Dennis Janke. And it came out like three months before the first issue of American Splendor. And these, both of those guys were into comics. But Dennis, the story he did in Flaming Baloney, he did in Ballpoint Pen. And just creating tones of gray with a ballpoint pen, you know, monster stuff. He later went on, he moved to the uh, the Eastern Seaboard, and he worked at D.C. for a good while. And Jim Blevins was a teacher. He went the opposite way out to the Northwest and was a teacher, but while he was in Cleveland, he was doing wood sculptures that were really incredible. So, so that was the initial was working on that. Then, and like almost simultaneously okay, was okay. American Splendor. Yeah, gotcha. So, and it, but it was initially that type that gig, Harvey's gig with that, right? And were you inking or drawing initially first? Both. Both. Okay. I was generally inking Greg Budget stuff and 
doing stuff on my own. Well, gotcha. and a lot of times, if, if this story called for a big, buxom woman, then you would always give those jobs to Greg Budget. Yeah, Greg. <laughs> Greg was and is into pinup art. I'm not saying I'm not, but he was too um, pushing the bounds of reality, yeah. shall we say. <laughs> So picture Harvey and Greg Budget working on the same book. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's kind of humorous. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And then Greg did try to do things like that yeah. in American Splendor with little or no success. <laughs> Harvey would generally shoot that down. So I and I read that Harvey he he really liked working with you because you're on time, you're dependable, you're punctual. Um, is that like I mean? You guys just kind of strike that as characters to me, but like, is this a skill sets that you developed through doing all these projects beforehand, or was it kind of something that like this was such a uh, inspiring like kind of guy to be working with? Like, this was kind of on top of my brain. Here it is, like on top of the pile. I I think that that's just our nature, both yes, of us. Yeah, I think okay. so. We're, it's good we're nature both to have. driven. Yeah. yeah. But I think you could add maybe another layer on top of that for Harvey. Okay, okay. Particularly after working with him for a few years. I mean, 30-plus years, it got to the point towards the end, working with Harvey, that he would even say, look, if you want to make an editor too here, yeah. go ahead. So, and, like, that was kind of... He would give you a, a, a drawing with stick figures and all the... All the uh, Dialogue, right? Write it out. Yeah. Block letters. <sighs> yeah. With, you know, with a little balloon drawn around it. And then sometimes it wouldn't be a stick figure. If he wanted me to do a close-up, it'd just be a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so taking that, like, before doing uh, the gig with Harvey, were you doing projects kind of like that when other people gave you like basically that type of like uh, a blueprint i wish there would have been somebody like that i yeah. would prior to that try to work on projects of my own and frankly i have to admit for whatever reason i didn't have the stick to it of to actually finish them like if it was something that i was trying to there's a five-page story i get to two pages into it, and then something else would get my attention. Gotcha. I think Gary is a great collaborator. Gotcha. I think he enjoys doing projects with other people. Okay. And maybe that's also why we work so well. You know, it's because Gary really does like collaboration. And I think that kind of arises out of, I've always also enjoyed seeing other artists work i mean it's um i'm still hungry yeah to see new stuff to see something that i haven't seen before maybe something i can steal if it's good enough <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the way it is with writing and musicians every hundred percent a hundred percent we're all looking at little bits and re-examining what we do to put it out and uh, i would also imagine like kind of going back to like uh that kind of initial hanging out on the porch working on stuff together like that kind of collab like the uh, just doing it in that sense kind of brings a 
more momentum behind it. You know, I just want to bring up one thing or two things about the porch thing. All right, back to the porch. Yeah, <laughs> Gary used to also get a lot of oohs and ahs from girls about his artwork, so that was probably a good thing. But back in, and I don't know what the date is, they had, um, well, we had, it was called um, Grovewood Boys. Okay. Grovewood. Yeah. <laughs> and it was all the guys yeah. who used to sit on the porch with Gary and draw or write or... Um, Just BS. Yeah. yeah. And they all, well, poetry and things, you know, um, they, they all had a show on, um, on, what was the art gallery? Waterloo. On Waterloo. Um, and it was really kind of fun because yeah. all the people were there. Two of them are no longer with us. Yeah, so it, it was, was really... Randall Tiedman, the painter, who passed away, geez, five or ten six years ago yeah. now. Yeah. And Bob Gaminer and Steve Verba and Janet Sikorsky. And we remained friends all of these years. But as Laura says, the only ones left are myself and Jan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was a neat, uh, a neat show. It was all of their work. New and the work that they yeah. had that was. And Laura was one of the Grovewood yeah, boys. I got to honorary. Honorary. Yeah, honorary. Uh, honorary onto the it was, stoop. It was a neat <laughs> show. Yeah. That's, that's a really cool, like, what a really cool, like, special way to kind of recap it, that. Like, all, yeah, just gets kind of mixed up. And um, the other great thing about being old artists is that we have got friends all different ages. Yeah. And so then you don't lose. You know, you don't get stuck in, um, you know, like just your age group thing. Right, right. Like we're learning things from you guys and, you know, all of the other, which I lovingly call the young punks, <laughs> you know, um, because it, it's nice having people that are all different, all different, everything all different, right. you know. Well, it's like, so that makes the, the collaboration like kind of drive make more sense, right? Because like coming from doing this in a group and kind of, even though being introverted, but kind of like vibing off extroverted ideas and like seeing like, there's a, there's like, as a unit, I feel like you can get way more done because it's not only your belief, but someone else's. And like the fact that someone can get behind your idea, that's, that's a powerful, like having, motivator. Having any kind of a support system like that, I think is invaluable to any creative person because Aside from music, most, although not exclusively, most of these artistic pursuits are solitary. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you have to look for places to get your feedback if you want feedback. Right, right. That's a whole other thing. Willingness to accept and learn and grow from someone else's input or ignore, ignoring of someone else's input. Well, it's... <laughs> It's having the confidence enough to ask for the feedback, then examining the feedback and plucking out those bits of value that come with most people's gas that they're sending at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, to kind of take a, I want to put a pin pin in a, the Harvey P. Carr and move on to a side subject um, on the concept of bands. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, the, the, um, I'm trying to remember his lips curl just like Elvis and he plays <laughs> a guitar just like Elvis. <laughs> that song 
is so good. <laughs> it's awesome. It's such a cool it's so song. Good. Like, well, thanks to Craig Robertson because I didn't write it. I, just I know, but you're playing bass on it, bass, and I think yeah. singing on it. <laughs> and I love the bass line. I love it. It's so much uh, fun. So, can we talk a little bit about a uh, rapid eye movement sure. when that falls into everything? Well, it's it's just not passing up another opportunity, you know? <laughs> yeah. Had a, met a friend in a bar, and he looked and said, Laura, do you want to learn how to play the bass and be in a band? Yeah, I don't care. That sounds good. Were you- I think there was some beer involved, but I'm not sure. <laughs> when you're in a band, there's always beer involved. <laughs> when you're in a bar, there's always beer involved. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Were for you- the- were you, this is Craig, right? Yeah. My friend. And were, were you aware of his music? Did you oh, know yeah. he played? Okay. So were you a fan? Were you into yeah. it? Okay. Oh, yeah. And he was, he's also an artist. Okay. And um, he is, is very talented. We did silk screens with him, too. Okay. All right. And uh, he, um, yeah, he, he wrote very good songs, you know, yeah. that were um, just like Elvis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, um, and his girlfriend at the time was our drummer. Okay. So, uh, that was kind of one big happy family there, you know? I was the roadie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he asked you if you want to play bass and just like everything, it's like, yes, and then. So do you get a bass the next day? Like, I, are you playing was, in the band the next day? It was pretty soon. Yeah? Um, yeah. And then, well, since we had the house. Yeah. You know, we had the practice area. <laughs> yeah, <up> you did. <laughs> and, um, and I had the car, so uh, we had our transportation for all of the... Tell me about it. The, the, <laughs> yeah. I um, just realized she had the roadie, too. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> no wonder he wanted me in that band, you know? <laughs> so, but the only thing is, is like, I, I learned to play the bass just by which song it was and what fingers I had to put there. I didn't know how to play the bass. But it was fun, right? And it was different, and you know, it was uh, something. Yeah, something to do. <laughs> I don't know. It was yeah. Well, also to kind of get more to take in, to put out, right? Like through any medium that's creative, you're always taking in experiences to put them out in a different way, even if it's yeah. just for yourself. So and Andy Warhol said, "Don't say no to any job." There we go. <laughs> the Warhol, the Warhol wisdom there. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So you're, did it come easy? Was it easy to pick up? I guess. Yeah. Um, cause we might've played out like two years maybe. Okay. And it might've only been six or seven or maybe six months before that, that I learned everything. Okay. And like so. you guys were playing with like Lucky Pierre and I see, I would see that name a lot. With yeah. a rapid eye movement. So yeah. was that like a, were you fans of them, aware of their oh, yeah. music? Yeah. I mean, okay. they were like the, the dance band in Cleveland, uh, along with a whole lot of other ones. And we would play in um, in Kent. Okay. We'd play in Akron. Uh, JB's, I think, mm-hmm. was in. Okay. In Kent. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was fun. And we play down the flats. Yeah. Okay. But it was just totally all bar stuff. You know, we never cut a record or anything. There's Although, that. So okay. So there's no. Is that the only recording? That one tune? Oh no. There's re, there's other recordings. Okay. Because yeah. I want to hear those. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. We like when I found that 
uh, that one you put on YouTube. I was like, oh my God, this song's so cool. This is so awesome. And I showed it the hope. I picked her up from rehearsal where she's playing bass in like a similar situation. And like, um, and like we were both freaking out, like, whoa, this is so sick. <laughs> like, yeah, I think that, I, I mean, there there are more. Yeah, so okay. we'll have to get the cassette player out, though. Well, so let's put a pin <laughs> in that. We'll come back to that later because okay. that, that, that song's so awesome. So um, it goes on for two years, and does it just fade out? Like, was there plans yeah. of a record, plan of a tour um, or more? Or was it just a fun thing? I don't quite know why it ended. Yeah, I don't remember either. I know that I started like just doing little projects with other, other bands in Cleveland, you know, and okay. we would do this and that. And I don't really know why. Who who else were you picking up projects with? I did do a, a, some things with Lucky Pierre. Okay, cool. And then uh, there the YOYOs. Okay. I mean, cool. just little tiny bands that were, um, you know, they wanted to just do something different. So. Yeah. People like Steve Freak and Jackie Ellis who did, they did a lot of different projects. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, uh... Musical. Yeah. Like, Lucky Pierre is an inter- interesting group. I forget what record we were listening to, but it was all over the place yeah, that musically. cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one was, it wasn't quite a dance record. It was just, like, wild tunage. Yeah. It was well, really Kevin, cool. Kevin wrote really cool stuff, too. And everybody in that band was really a good musician. Kevin McMahon, and then he later did a project with Trent Reznor yeah. on oh, yeah? Nails. Okay. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that was Prick. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So was the music scene at that time similar to what you were experiencing in the uh, visual art scene or visual art group? Like the music groups you were working with in the kind of community? It, that was like 83, no, 80, like maybe 80 to 83 or 84. Okay. So that would have been <clears throat> like talking heads. And is that, what, is that what you mean? Well, I just I mean the Cleveland community. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, there, yeah. And a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff that was in Cleveland around then was pretty much all original music. There was really no like copy bands. Yeah. Well, there were some, but they weren't the ones that No, so. and, but there were a lot of original the Wild Giraffes. Yeah. For yeah. me as a being really on the periphery as the roadie, <laughs> it seems to me that the music scene was much more vibrant yeah. than the art scene at that time. In okay. Cleveland. Yeah. Was it uh, like a groups kind of going around getting into each other's like like supportive, vibrant, or was it more oh, just yeah. like I think it was blossoming with a bunch of different things? I, I think everybody was pretty supportive. Yeah, most of the people I remember from that time were supportive. Yeah, okay. I mean, it just was let's go to a bar and dance and have fun and get a good band, you know, that was original. That's I mean, cool. I mean, and yeah, that yeah. that could have been yeah that was like life for. Three, four, five years. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, did you? Was there any crossover with like um, visual projects <laughs> with other groups as well? Where they're like, "Hey, can you do our album cover, <laughs> Laura?" Um, <laughs> did you notice that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, not not a lot, but um, well, I did the one that I wrote a song for. I should give that one to you too. That's yeah, I want to hear that vinyl. vinyl. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, called Romantic Lies. Yeah. Nice. And I would do little, like I would do all of our flyers. Okay. You know, and uh, posters and. Hmm. So you're you're dragging a big a big a big end here. You're doing all the posters. You got the roadie. You got the car. You got the rehearsal <laughs> the place. That's because I had that's because I had the computer. You know. That yeah. I could, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I am kind of a workaholic too. So it's, you know, we both like to be busy all the time. And I guess well I so when you're doing your own thing and it's something you love doing, that break of like, this is a thing I enjoy doing to a thing like of. Uh, to work that is a fine line like I'm at least I find that for myself is like like I I love to do all these things but it's also work and where's the stopping point I don't quite know <laughs> you I know think what I mean ours kind of all blended because we were working on making money but I was working in the house yeah you were pretty much part-time and a working star usually part-time okay. yeah, very very part-time or else you were teaching it Virginia Marty, or else you were doing comic books with people, and that was paying you, and that was paying, I mean, the police were paying me, Greater Cleveland Peace Officers Memorial Society was paying right. me, and any other little jobs I could get, graphic arts, right? you know, putting a lot of, working with a lot of animal organizations, just doing things for their newsletters, you yeah. know, and just little kooky stuff, all the while painting, drawing, so everything was a mismatch. Okay, that that's that's where the, where that yeah, that kind of really like no... endless work blade. Like you're like, oh, I got two hours to do nothing. I should do the animal and thing. Like you know what I mean? We, like <laughs> we were very very lucky that everything like that just happened. But yeah, again, we never said no to any job, <laughs> and we um, we always made our deadlines. Like you were saying, yeah, because artists are known for not doing such. yeah. <laughs> and no, we always met our deadlines, and we were reasonable. We didn't um, we didn't charge a lot of money hmm. to do things because we didn't really think that we just need you know yeah. And we were lucky to be able to have, you know, gotten the house right. And um, so having like a kind of a uh, HQ kind of all yeah panned out, but also it's just. Was I imagine are you, are you guys very scheduled? Oh yeah. Okay, so that's see that's the key right there, is like the scheduling the doing nothing time and the you must be doing this get that done <laughs> like. No, we I'm I'm like a perfect putzer. <laughs> if I don't have something to do, I I, I find something to do. I relate we're to not that. Really, yeah, <laughs> we're not really good at sitting. Yeah. For instance, <laughs> you guys were coming over today. Which is great. But after breakfast, I said to Laura, well, you know, I got a little bit of time. I'm going to work on that project for music makers. So I went up and I inputted some of the copy since I'm writing that that mm. job. Uh, I input that and I formatted it a little. And I discussed with Laura a little bit about an idea of how to approach the, uh, the piece. So yeah, if there's even a small increment of time and I'm feeling at all ambitious, I'll do it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, also, no, we, I also relate to that. <laughs> like, we that don't, is, yeah, we don't this really is home. <laughs> waste time. And after dinner, you know, like uh, that's, that's when I'll sit here and yeah. 
I had like a few beers, you know, and then I'll uh, watch a little bit of TV and conk out. Yeah. But then I'm up at like seven thirty, eight o'clock in the morning and going until okay. dinner's done. <laughs> but so schedule important. And like, is that something that came naturally to you guys? Oh, yeah. With Okay. I think so. Because my mother was like always saying, you can just do stuff by yourself. Yeah. You know, how come you can be happy just doing stuff by yourself? Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm a putzer. Yeah. <laughs> and he has to be, he has to be in his studio. We eat breakfast. He comes down and has lunch. I don't usually have lunch. Yeah. Then I make dinner. We have dinner and watch a little TV after dinner. And then go to bed early, usually, or else you might sometimes go back in your studio yeah. and do some, you know, work a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So, all right, that makes sense. That makes sense. That's work, work, work. Yeah, yeah. But fun, fun, fun. But the kind of so going from the music and playing it, um, and kind of going back to Harvey, he would he would write for Music Maker, right? And he then started out right with Music Maker. He wrote the first two, and again. It was a situation that was echoed then later in his life because after we did the second one, he said to me, you know, man, um, this this gig don't pay very much. I, I don't think I can do it anymore. And I was feeling overly ambitious that day. And I said to him, well, would you mind if I take a try at it? He goes, no, man, go, go for it. And so since I've been doing ever since, Okay. Harvey was a hustler. Yeah. He really, yeah. He, he had his focus and he wanted, you know, to make enough to do what he wanted to do. So he never had, you know, he, he never had downtime either. Harvey yeah. He was always. So, so, okay. So from that, I had a couple questions with the music maker. Um, now you're doing all the research for it, right? I am fortunate. I mean, yes and no. Okay. I'm fortunate in that. If the folks at Music Maker, Tim Duffy and others, if they have some material that they've either written themselves or since this is a person that they're sort of, I don't want to say sponsoring because they don't, they don't sponsor everybody. Right. But with the, for the folks that they work with, if there's some other source material, they'll send it to me as grist for my writing mill. Okay, okay. So... You'll either get like a say this or or find your own. Yeah. Okay. If I, if I there's been times in the past when I've had to dig. And then they sign off on it, and you yeah. just go. Then I send them town. a rough with whatever copy I've written. Okay. And they say yay or nay. Usually yay. Um. So kind of going through this the side hustle here. What have you found through Music Maker that you've enjoyed that maybe you thought you wouldn't have enjoyed? Or, like, has there been any artists that you've been like, oh, this guy's, I like this now, or she's awesome, or, like... I can I can honestly say that I found at least a little something to like with everybody. You okay. Know, like, maybe just a song. Um, there's a... Uh, the person that I'm working on currently is Martha Spencer, and she's a, uh, a bluegrass artist, uh, and... Um, uh, she's pretty darn cool because she comes out of a Appalachian tradition that's, you know, mountain roots music. And uh, she's got a very uh, crystal clear voice. She plays guitar and fiddle and bass wow. and a 
is a singer-songwriter. Um, everybody isn't yeah. that versatile, but uh, they particularly wanted me to get her done pretty quick because it's Women's Month coming up, so right. they want to push that aspect, too. That's cool. That's cool. And I got to imagine when you're pro, uh, pro- portraying somebody, you got to find some redeeming quality. You're like, yeah, well, you know, I like, <laughs> you got to find something you like within them to like, ex- to express it. Absolutely. And some, I have to admit, Music Maker has given me an incredible latitude in my approach to doing it because I've done some that are very realistic slash naturalistic mm-hmm. and then I've done others that are more like caricatures right and they've had no problem with any of the approaches that's cool that's cool so I guess kind of going off that with like research into a project like if we take tunnel of hell or a, a fire on the fire on the water or okay, yeah, fire. You got it right. okay okay I was like I can't I nailed it nice I knew I was going to mess up some title somewhere, but it wasn't that one. But um, when it goes into like researching and bringing to life the story that there isn't really pictures of, like kind of is there, I mean, is author notes that are kind of like aiding you towards what this character should kind of look like? Well, let's put it this way. Scott McGregor, besides being a good writer, understands because... He loves movies. So not only will he put what the text is and the dialogue, but he will put camera directions. Oh, nice. Now, (laughs) I do not always follow the camera directions, but generally we can discuss why I want to change something. And almost all the time, Scott said, yeah, do it that way. Okay. But I mean, as far as like bringing these people to life, are you do do you have a process to kind of like look back and like research characters from that time? I love or? history. So the fact is, okay, I love history and I like seeing other people's work and I love bringing in images and trying to if not memorize them at least generally keep them in my brain pan. Hmm. So when it came to this project, for the technical stuff, Scott did that because he wanted to get it right. But in terms of the characters, the way they're dressed, etc., I already had ideas and did little drawings for that so that Scott would give approval. Okay, okay. So it's, again, it's a collaboration. And Garrett Morgan was in there, and you know what he looks like, because he was well, the one person. Yeah. Yes, but the idea originally was not to make it Garrett Morgan, oh. in order that there'd be no problem with his living relatives. Okay. Right, right. Fix that. Okay, well, no, it's fine. <laughs> I don't think it's... But, uh, but still, just to have, like, that, uh, like, visual, like, because also with, like, um... There was the the few page in the beats with um, D. A. Levy, and like taking like so the, the, there's these stories I noticed like you have a very interesting like body of work that's like like snark right, which is a new one you guys been doing together and like I think wh- how far is the third one is that out done in progress? No, it's not. But I 
I haven't even told the author, Bruce All of Solheim, this yet. Okay. But I've already done roughs for the whole book. Nice. They're up on the wall in my okay. studio room. So he said, sometime in 2024, we'll be doing that. But I thought I'd get ahead of the curve because I had a little extra time. Nice. And when he has a little extra time, he finds some way yeah. to fill it. That's going to be productive in yeah. the future, you know. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, it's make, when you're doing this, what you're doing, you know what you need to do down the line as well. Yeah. So if you can, if you can step it forward, I totally get that. Um, but I, I really, I, I read in his author notes in volume two, like you could tell he really loves this project. He's really uh, passionate about Snark, so that's cool. Oh, absolutely. But uh, I guess I bring that up. So you have like a superhero story, and then you have very research stories, and then you have like Harvey's like autobiographical stories, and then like the the random gigs that like he's uh, like thrown your way. Like, so when it comes, I guess I I'm trying to formulate my question a little better. But with all these different like um, hats, right, and like how. Is there, a, is there a different approach to a character? There has to be, but, like, is there a different approach as far as, like, researching, like, a superhero? Are you going to drag from, like, uh, Jack Kirby influences? And, and I guess he's kind of more of, like, a... Kirby's kind of in everything with comics, I feel like, in general in the world. But, like, uh, as far as, like, approaching, like, coming up with, like, a layout and a, a thumbnail for a snark compared to, like, a more historical research-based one. Oh, that is a good question, but the the thing that the thread that runs so true through all of them is I'd like to lay out a page that's interesting to me as a comic reader. Okay. So if I can do something that doesn't necessarily have a standard six-panel layout on a page, something where a panel forces you by its shape to go to the next panel or forces you by dint of whatever the characters are doing to move your eye along the page. Uh, I opt for that whenever I can. Mm. Plus, I think Gary's work is so distinctively Gary's work. Right. And it is in a style that can go science fiction or can go historic or it's just good solidly drawn artwork right you know and the way he does it in his um layouts i think that's what like puts it in a different category okay you, you know what yeah I mean? yeah well that's one thing i and I, his stuff always looks the same to me right right like, and they there's people that go oh that's a gary dumb yeah so you know um but the story it's just i guess how he attacks the layout gotcha because like when i was getting ready to talk with you i'm flipping through i got that big american splendor anthology i'm and showing hope i'm like there that's gary like and like i because you uh, brought this up last last time when we were hanging out like you have this very uh confident solid uh character like draw like i can tell it's it seems very um that's what i'm looking for very purpose purposely put and very distinct in sure of what it wants to say and like I, i'm sure you could be like wow it took forever to get there and i believe it 
I believe it. But the end results from what I've flipping through all these different books I've been reading, it's very, um, very sincere in what it's trying to say. And maybe that's the key. You know, like his work is very honest. And um, he's not trying to be another comic book artist. Or, yeah. Um, he's just being Gary. Well, thanks. I appreciate that all around. But as to whether I'm there yet, I'm, I don't know. Well, and I think that's, well, no, I think that's the most inspiring bit is like knowing that there's more to find and trying to find these new things. Like when, uh, when you were showing me around your, uh, your, um, your office, how you had extremity on there, um, like, uh, Daniel Warren Johnson, I was like, that's, you know, that's a cool, like, that's such a cool read in a new wild, like, kind of under the radar book. So it's so cool. Like, like I, that's the endless scratch, right? That I'm looking for shit to steal. <laughs> it doesn't always show up as obviously because you're right. I don't really try to imitate somebody right. else. That, that's I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to, except maybe I've done a series over the years that is ongoing. I, I call them my uh, unreal comics covers yeah. because they're covers the comics that don't exist that I wish existed. And sometimes within that context, oh yeah, I will ape somebody else's style in order to get the... Uh, the import across right. to the viewer because it's me but it ain't me <laughs> but but yeah well in that in that case it's taking those abilities and it's still like because i have one of them and it still looks like you you know what i mean even though the like this the the style may become different it still has like the it's like if james brown sang adele it's going to sound like james brown even though it's adele well you know I really appreciate that. <laughs> um, because as you know, the way my voice is now, I'm much closer to James Brown. Than <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I guess, and another th- comment on like layout, flipping through like American Splendor issues, there's a really interesting layout, like, and I, I wonder if, if this is a, your choice or Harvey's choice that will have a, a, a story read from the top of the page going all the way across, right? And then kind of like that, like in stripes generally left to right. I don't know which exactly you're talking about, but if you're talking about stories with double page spreads, that's generally me talking with Joe Zabel and Joe implementing the, uh, the layout because Joe really... Sometimes I think I'm fairly out there. Joe can do some really off-the-wall layouts, and particularly in those double-page spreads that he was doing, I think in the 80s, maybe early 90s, they, I found them really great. Did you, so did you meet Joe through working with Harvey? In a backwards way, I was working part-time in a comic store called Collector's Warehouse, and Joe came in, and I don't exactly recall how we realized that we both were artists, and but we did so 
and Joe brought in some of his work, and he had already been familiar with my work, and I said, why don't you talk with Harvey? I bet you could get some work, and he did, and Harvey said, yeah, but did you want to work with Gary, too? And Joe said, sure, that'd be fine. Okay. So that's how we got started. Gotcha. And it, that must have been a collaboration that it flowed pretty smoothly because then like with like with Bulletproof reading that book, like that's a pretty dense story. Like as far as like the amount of information that it's conveyed in that one issue. Well, Joe, like myself, we do both like mysteries and I may like, you know, some of the uh, more hard boiled stuff than he does, but we both like mystery stuff. Okay, so I guess uh, with that bulletproof in particular, there's that one page that has like the hours going by, and you see the clocks do like this. Was that a Joe idea or was that a you idea? Okay, okay. So, so I guess another thing to pull from like working with Harvey when you are paired up with other artists, like what were some kind of like general ideas you found yourself taking for yourself from? So if layouts were one from Joe. Is like, and I mean, I, I maybe not taking, let's say inspired from, <laughs> or swiping, whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, you could uh, <laughs> put it in as nice or as not nice way as you'd like. <laughs> learning from. Learning from, well, you know, and because when you're working with someone like that, if it's, a, if, if it's playing in a band with somebody and you're like, oh, they really phrase minor third chords differently, like, I like that, like, that's something I do. I'll like, I like how Joe Rangel does that. <laughs> like, fill in the blank. But like, so. I guess, is there a couple other highlights from artists you worked with who also worked in American Splendor stuff that you still find yourself kind of utilizing in, like, stuff now? Well, that is another good question. Uh, I would have to honestly say that anything of that that has happened has by and large been subconsciously subsumed into my bag of tricks. Gotcha. Okay. I mean, overtly, the the kind of stuff like what you were saying mainly about Joe's stuff is certainly at the time I would go, wow, I wish I'd thought of that. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I, you know, unless there was, again, some place where you could sort of steel, old cloth, yeah. you know, some kind of imagery. Uh, it's got to be just stuff that slipped in. Okay, okay. And I guess, like, on your end, also working with the American Splendor stuff, too, taking, like, layouts like that, did you find that uh, relay itself in paintings and such? No. No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've always been quite particular as to what I wanted to paint and what... I didn't want to paint, and at that point, the painting never entered into gotcha. this working relationship. That was just my thing. Okay. Until we started doing the environmental stuff. And gotcha. even with the environmental stuff, I mean, the fruit of having done these works, which I'm very proud of, the fact of the matter is, I could not come up with ideas that matched Laura's original concept of what she wanted to do. And so this, these works that you see, 
actually are sort of a default position that she was willing to take. Yeah. And I, I, I'm happy we did. Yeah. And then there's always the fact that I, I can, I think I can safely say this without having something thrown at me, that there are a number, <laughs> there are a number of works that I did as black and white pen and ink works mm-hmm. that Laura goes, nah, I ain't gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you know, it has to, it has to um, spark something inside of her because once uh, the, the black and white work has been sketched onto the canvas, it doesn't end there. When Laura comes up with something that she wants to add to it, she will ask what I think of the idea. But in general, I think it's a foregone conclusion that she wants to do that. Yeah. So unless I think it's really a horrible idea, I say yes. Well, and the fact of the matter is, is that they took me so long to do each one, mm-hmm. you know, because I just take forever. Yeah. And um, I don't want to spend like a whole month on something that I hate. So when you come up with a great idea, Makes yeah, sense to me. yeah. But so there's this communication thing that I think is key for any collaborative endeavor, right? And I guess I, I so the kind of stem off that was this like communication skills that you learned from individually doing your own projects involving other people. I think he's taught me more about, um, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, communication skills than I kind of live in my head sometimes. Gotcha. And um, he's he's a little bit more well-rounded. So you can see that it's possible for an introvert to become extroverted. <laughs> there, there, in which are the steps? All right. But we don't have to always be out there, you yeah. know. We're extroverted in our work, yeah. Um, and who we're working with, you know. But they don't have to be here, right? Right. In our face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, one, there was one thing I was trying to like look in more more into it, but I couldn't really find anything. You did, you did some work with like DC and Dark Horse. They were associated with American Splendor in both oh, okay. those cases. Because Dark Horse took over. Right. And they started. For, after Harvey stopped self publishing. I'm trying to, you know, I don't know exactly how that happened, but it, it seems to me as a surmise, they must have come to Harvey and said, look, we'll take the load off you of having to worry about getting distribution and yeah. all that stuff if you can continue to package American Splendor. So I think that's Dark Horse. Um, uh, DC was a similar thing and was, I have to say, a much better paying gig than Dark Horse was. And I was, I was happy to be a part of that because they branched out bringing in other artists even further afield okay. than just the folks that Harvey had gathered. Gotcha. So with that, was there like an artist that you were a fan of that you got to work with because of that? No, no not just... at all. I got to work with Greg Budget again. So 
That had been after a period where Greg had not been doing anything American Splendor okay. for a long time. So I was happy with that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, okay, so while that's going on, and that's going, like, are as you're doing Harvey stuff, are you in, like, because like, well, was Bulletproof, Bulletproof was going on. Like, so you're taking all these other side comics, too. Um, and at that point, were you doing the pattern drawings? Like, I'm trying to piece together where these two projects, or where you two are working at at this kind of moment. Well, some of that was utterly independent. Gotcha. And in 2008 was when I ended up in the hospital with the yeah. not being able to breathe. So I retired the... the um, graphic arts business gotcha so then from then on in it was i just painted okay so i think that the quilting paintings or the the pattern pieces were the first thing that i did no um no again it was just a bunch of this and that yeah did so kind of dialing back like that did it become more uh stuff you wanted to do more than gigs that just popped up or did gigs right just then I didn't really have any gigs okay so this was stuff you, know, you wanted to do it this was just, this was just me being an artist in my house gotcha and doing whatever the heck I wanted to <laughs> yeah, do yeah that was a nice period <laughs> yeah yeah and then um well truthfully <laughs> a little confession I decided that I wanted to work on paintings with him yeah because I thought his name might get me into galleries more than my name. <laughs> I, yeah. You know, and, um, yeah. Was it a dumb idea? <laughs> All our ideas are dumb ideas. Um, so that was one reason why I wanted to do the environmental pieces. Right. Um, was strictly because I thought, okay, you got both domes here. Yeah. You know, we're going to have a great, and, and the shows that we did with these paintings really did very well. Well, these paintings are incredible. And I kind of want to, so that, this all started from the first one, which was the shame blame game, right? The board game? Yeah, we were doing, um, yeah. Oh, I know. We ran across the gallery in Lakewood, okay. the Breakneck Gallery. Okay. We went in to introduce ourselves. The fella there, Sean, John said, Burns. Yeah. Burns, okay. He says, I know you guys. He says, um, whatever you want to do, you can do. Cool. That's what I said. Yeah. You know, because very, and so we worked with them until they closed in 2018, maybe? No. It must have been 2015. 15. I do not remember. Yeah, um, because we could have the best shows there. And any kind of cockamamie idea we would come up with in our head, they would just sign off and say, sure, do it. And that's the kind of place an artist wants to have. Right. You know. Right. So I think maybe they spoiled us for the rest of the galleries in Cleveland, which we've got a lot of really great galleries in Cleveland, but... They didn't really want to give you that carte blanche, you know. Right. They didn't. They they had rules. Okay, so you guys get in there, and that's when the 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 collaborative painting start. Is that when the ideas start cooking for the? Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I think that um, fame, shame, blame game was that that whole concept was Gary's idea, and then um, that was the board games and and um, just social issue things that you know we were just ticked off being artists, you know, and you get all snooty sometimes, <laughs> you know, and we just wanted to like over prescribing medications right. and um, you know, but we'd put them to a game. Right. That we remembered in our childhood. So that one was fun. We even had games made of the paintings that the people could sit in the opening and play the games. That's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. But, um, and then from there, I wanted to go into uh, pesticides and the environment. That was the idea I asked Gary to do. And he could not come up with anything with what my specifications were. I did sketches, but <laughs> yeah. So they, um, they weren't it. Yeah. So when he came up with the the monsters idea, that sort of made sense to me. That was like, yeah. yeah. Well, that was a spin-off because what Laura wanted to show was the regular insect the way it looks and then a mutation of that insect. And it it just it I wanted to do happening. a split screen down the face. Yeah. This would be the real, you know, one side would be the real. And the other side would be the. Would be a really monstrous. Maybe I said monstrous and you went monster. So, yeah, that's. I'd say yes. <laughs> you know, because all of the monsters in the paintings are actually um, our childhood, you know, loves kind of. Because right. we love seeing those movies when we were kids and uh, that opens the door to a lot of things when people see the paintings it's like I relate to Frankenstein right oh but now there's smokestacks coming out of his head you know yeah and then they start talking and they start um, uh, a conversation with each other about the issue and it just helps get that issue out right which we've we talked a little bit about last time but it's like it's such a non-like kind of preachy way to right. to like hey there's this horrible thing going on and and you're thinking like you got the familiar face and you got the issue behind it and you're relating like how would how all these paintings are laid out are really like an expert way and like I would like to I would like to maybe point out maybe it's telling the story as if a comic would but instead of uh, multiple panels it's one panel and Gary always said that these were what <laughs> they're painted political cartoons yeah so large painted yeah political cartoons but it got people talking and it makes and it's not confrontational as much as it is enlightening so that's what's so. so inspiring about about these set of paintings yeah well that was part of the intention of having some something or things that was at least slightly humorous yeah so that the uh uh, the bitter pill of enlightening goes down easier. <laughs> um, so I guess I kind of branching back to like you guys and from from one of the paintings. I don't know if you want to talk about that you're working on that you're thumbnailing with a with a with a, 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 a shit shit uh, swirly oh, oh. shit shit toilet uh, shit <laughs> shit shitty shit shit. Um, yeah, I. Um. Uh, uh, but from like. I, I, after you, we were talking about that and like how it came from a friend, right? It was well, it's another wacky kind of thing. Right. She messaged me 
and said, I don't know why, but I, I just wanted to show you guys this. Um, my drawings aren't very good, um, but I thought it was funny, and maybe, uh, maybe someday I'd get to work with you guys or something yeah. like that. And I just wrote her back, and I said, well, you know, yeah, it's funny, I'll, and I'll show Gary and see, like, if he's got any ideas or whatever. Oh, well, of course he has ideas, you know? <laughs> so he took it, and she's thrilled because, you know, she. I think that that's kind of why she showed it to us. Right. You know, but she's she's really happy, and we did do, or I did do a little bit of coloring on it last week or the week before, and uh, I haven't sent it to her yet to, to show her. Oh, but that's yeah, exciting. Gary, Gary took over, and he, he did a really cool drawing, and I made it look cool, too. And what was the actual name of the painting? I totally got it wrong. I, no. <laughs> it's not I, shit, 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 shit. Life's shit. A, it, it doesn't have an official yeah. name Okay. Yet, so maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But, it, but it's a, a takeoff, at least in my mind, of um, a Bosch yeah. painting, Hieronymus Bosch. Um, the Garden of Earthly Delights. Which, if that were the title, is uh, certainly more than ironic, <laughs> because uh, the aspect that I took from Val Seeley's idea was that um, we're living in a world of shit, and uh, so in the in the center of it is a sort of whirlpool with little people being sucked down into that, uh, and there are three gigantic asses that are creating the shit that the people are having to live with. But my spin on it was that even in a world of shit, a person who, dare I say, has their shit together <laughs> can still have a good time amidst the shit. So there are little people amongst those that are being sucked down and suffering who are... Partying. Well, they're partying. They're jumping in the shit. <laughs> they're, they are... Swimming. Surfing <laughs> on the shit. So there's all manner of things that can be done in a world of suffering and it's, shit. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it sort of is like make the lemonade out of lemons. But... And that, so that kind of, I mean, at this point now, I imagine you guys get a lot of pitches for things. And I, I, I imagine, like, uh, aside from taking a gig for a gig's sake, like, you know, make some, make some dough, is there projects that, uh, that kind of enlighten you more to be like, oh, I got this idea, right? Like, what, is there, like, mm. kind of a process? Is there, like, like, because when I look through all the works that, uh, I have before here, like they all, they are like they're either like rich in historical like facts, or they're they're telling this narrative, or they're having like this kind of like um, light-hearted political like, or not political, but like a the hidden insights, right? And like, so there's a very like, it's not just you guys don't just do whatever, but you're doing like these very, it seems like very particularly picked out stories and like works and like I wanted to know is there a thought behind do you is there stuff that you say no to and or do you seek kind of projects like this you know what I don't think that we do ever say no to anything <laughs> um, I, I'm serious yeah and I think that um, we especially he sees worth in everything yeah you know and it's like well 
um, I, I don't think you have ever said, but he's he's gonna now remember something he said he's no like, to. I said no to that. <laughs> I'm not gonna make you out to be a liar because there are some things that get bitched that I do say no to that there's no reason for you to even hear about. Well, there you go. I but didn't know about it. they mainly been graphic novels. Gotcha. Oh, I know that. I. I spent four years with a little break for cancer on uh, doing um, Fire on the Water. So I know what a graphic novel entails. Right. How much work and time. And time is becoming more precious to me. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of doing something like Val did, uh, you know, the Garden of Earthly Non-Delights, um... Struck me as something that I could again put my own little personal spin on yeah. to make a little bit of a statement. I mean, it's it's not a major piece, but in somebody's life, if they see it, maybe it'll help them. Yeah, yeah. I, you can never tell about stuff like that. But I guess what I'm getting to is. If you have something you want to pitch me, keep, <laughs> keep it short. Uh, the email's listed below. <laughs> oh, Subject, <man>. title, short. <laughs> but no, I just, because like flipping through all these, uh, all these books, getting ready to talk with you guys, I'm like, there's, there's kind of a through line of these like really like thought out, like, like stories that you're working and collaborating with that they're not just normal stories that like, like the, I, I found it very interesting what because like, I seeing how much goes into like just in the music, but like working with Gotti and like just seeing how much goes into a visual uh, display of anything requires a lot of time, thought, effort, and passion. So like like that that what I think what you just said right there kind of caps what you guys are really moved with to do. Uh, let's put it this way. <laughs> Stuff comes in through the eyes. And a lot of times, what happens is there's a reaction in the brain. But the stuff that I like comes in through the eyes and goes to the heart and then to the brain. And the brain can think about what it was that struck you in the heart and for me that's a little more important I think that's well said he does that very well because <laughs> um, I another uh, on on that topic like I, I found a very interesting like in certain interviews you brought up how the brain processes comics and like how impactful that is like um, is this anything at all is I imagine this is a retrospective thought process but with drawing and laying out stuff, aside from what hits the heart, like, is this a kind of thing you knew from the beginning, or is this just like something that, from years of experience, makes more sense? No, I think uh, uh, particularly the mechanics of it is something learned. I think it's something that most any artist interested in comics can learn um, in terms of what's going to affect the heart. Uh, you got to figure that out for yourself. Awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much for, 
for chatting mm-hmm. <laughs> with me. And like, thank you so much for letting me and Hope come in like a week before and hang out and see what you get. This has been super delightful. Oh, We've left pleasure. We left super ecstatic last time, and I'm sure we will this time. We've been talking about it the whole. Like, I know over so. <laughs> the whole time we haven't seen you. Well, we we've in, we've enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, thank you guys. So, so you much. don't have to be strangers now. You're friends. There oh. you go. Well, now you get, the, and now we'll be sending invites. <laughs> um, do you guys have anything else to like, kind of like plug that's going on? Like, I know Snark Three is in the future. It's in the works. Um, you guys also have an art show coming up. Weren't you? You were making the book for it last time I was here. That was the truth. That was oh the, yeah. oh oh! Not an yeah, art yeah. show. That this is just going to be. It's like a. Um, it's called Kids Comic Convention. Yeah. Okay. We've been doing it for 10 or 12 years. I participated on Zoom during COVID one year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but we're right. actually going to have a little group of kids that will be um, the same as what we're doing with you, just yeah. kind of telling them, you know, like, well, you can be an artist. And, and awesome. uh, this is sort of. Be, try to be a little inspirational. Yeah, maybe, so we'll or? be trying to manipulate their minuscule minds. But yeah, I yeah. wanted to do the little booklets, you know, yeah. so that I could pass them around and say, because every kid's got a computer now, so maybe if they wanted to. And oh. remember ages ago mm-hmm. when they used to do the, what did they call them? Those little books that are, are you know, comic people would do. Um, um, zines? No, they would like a garbage can books or ash can ash can books gotcha. yeah you know and that was when the computers finally were out and they could do their own and pass them around and they didn't have to rely on a printer or i mean a big printer right they had their own little printer so is this an open thing or do you guys sign up and when is it and where is it i think oh we had to sign up it's at the pivot center on west 25th okay but uh, as far as anyone who wanted to no. come they got to show up no, I, okay. I don't okay. think that it's like a real convention. This is sort of like, well, I might be wrong. Well, it is in that there will be an artist's alley where they will have a number of people there. Uh, I've opted not to participate in that part. I'm more interested in doing, you know, giving the talk. And uh, as Laura said, trying to inspire a little bit. Yeah. That's awesome. Because it seems like we'll have a small group of yeah. kids from, I think that they said, middle school. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's not going to be like a whole room full of people. but Right. And I think that this is basically for the kids. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's super awesome. I do have one more question I remembered before, before we wrap it up here. When it comes to, like, working with someone else and writing your own, like, comic, as far as, like, laying out this, is do you find that process more like I'm thinking like a man there was some stuff that was mostly like that you wrote out and illustrated um and is that is that easier is there a difference to you do you enjoy like being able to do your whole thing completely and do you have some projects like that you'd like to do well in actuality I think I generally like working with somebody else but as of late because it is getting late. I've been trying to do more writing. Mm. I just haven't brought anything finished out, but I've got, as Laura can tell you, 
In our notes, I've got a number of stories, both outlined and with parts fully written. It's, I find it because of having done drawing for 60 years, it's much easier to sit down and just draw when I sit down and try to write. Yeah. It's work. <laughs> That's exciting, though. Oh, I well, think so. When you sit That's down cool. and write, it's work? Yes. yes. Oh, I thought it was more fun for you to write. I know. I'm trying to get it to be more fun <laughs> because I think, ultimately, if I were to live another 20 years... I'm going to lose a step or two being able to draw, but I should be able to do the little finger movements that allow me to write. I don't know. I, you always say that, but I don't think that you've really... I don't think that you're um, getting sloppy. I'm not sloppy. I just have seen where I'm a little shaky. I don't know. I don't know. No I, steps missed. <laughs> well, I haven't missed a step yet and fallen down the stairs, if that's what you mean. No, I think you're still doing. I think you both are still killing it. Yeah. You guys, like, from just how involved you are with everything and all these projects and just, like, the willingness to let us come in and hang out and pick your guys' brains, I think speaks very highly of, oh, thank of you. both of you. So thank you guys again for this. Oh, thank you. you're very welcome. It's great to have you over. All right. With that, friends, let's hope you were going to say something and I cut you off. Well, I was just going to ask what you like to write about. Um, uh, generally in the um, Stephen King vein, I like horror. Cool. That's, That's awesome. That's well, sick. Be, yeah. Be careful. I'll get your email address and send you something. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Hope's a good <laughs> editor. She edits all my emails. <laughs> the only reason I sound presentable and is like, because she made it sound. One of my favorite things about writing is is getting getting the feedback like i like i love playwriting because you do live workshops and a lot of the time when you do live workshops you just give it to the person right then and their first impression is you know the feedback they give you but that's like kind of similar to what you do with an audience you know the audience doesn't get the script yeah. in advance yeah yeah well, unless they hang out with each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got this pitch for this this book that's at the library. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I'm gonna turn this off, guys. Bye. Bye. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang.